To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's up, guys? I got a new podcast for you. So um, originally we recorded this. This is with uh, Zach Harold from Archery Maniacs podcast. Originally we recorded it for an episode on his show. It's such a great conversation. We talked about building the perfect hunting arrow from scratch. And so, you know, we just dive into this conversation about what's important and what's not and, and finding the perfect spine. We just really dissect the whole topic you know to 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 build the perfect hunting arrow so such a great conversation such great information that that uh, i thought i'd release it on our end too so we're going to release it on our our side zach's going to release it on archery maniacs on his side and uh we'll get it out to you guys so i really appreciate the conversation with zach he's just a great guy lives eats sleeps and breathes bow hunting um and, and he's always hustling um does a great job on his podcast make sure to check that out and uh, I really enjoyed it, and I think you guys will too. Sponsors for today's show, uh, High Mountain Seasoning. High Mountain Seasoning, uh, they're a great company. They put out some great products. Um, their jerky seasoning is what I really love. I love making my own jerky, and there's nothing better than being on a hunt or on a fishing trip and having a big bag of a homemade quality jerky. Like, I can't even eat the store-bought anymore. I just love um, you know, making it myself and having it. So they have the best jerky seasonings out there. They're, they're peppered, they're original. Um, gosh, they've got one that's like, uh, oh, they got garlic and, and spicy lime jalapeno. They got a bunch of different flavors out there. So make sure to check them out and try them. They also have steak marinades that they have seasonings and rubs. Uh, if you do pepperoni, they've got pepperoni casings and seasonings, summer sausage casings and seasonings. Uh, they have a ton of great products, so make sure to check them out, High Mountain Seasonings. Uh, the other sponsor for today's show is Technu. Um, Technu is a great company. Technu, um, they have Technu Original, um, which is made for poison oak and poison ivy. And if you've ever been into that stuff, it's just nasty. And it's an oil. And so that oil, if you get it on your clothing or what I've had before is like my dog will run through it and then I pet my dog. You get that oil and then you get this this breakout or this rash bothers you for days but if you have some of this tech new original it takes the the oil away and so you're not you're not going to get it on your sleeve and rub it on your steering wheel you can you can remove the oil so you don't have a breakout later down the road and the time to have this stuff is now before poison oak and poison ivy is thick if um it, it's tough to order it and get it here from the internet when you're in pain and irritated from being in that stuff. So, you know, have some of that stuff in your truck or in your cupboard and be ready for poison oak and poison ivy season. Uh, thanks to Tech New for sponsoring the podcast. And uh, with that, over there at Eastman's, uh, we got those three beyond the grid that are they're dropping. I believe they're all out now. Um, but the, the first episode is Dan Picard he hunts out of a helicopter in Oregon for an early season bowl. Great episode. Uh, I talked about it on the podcast. Uh, another one that was talked about on the podcast is uh, Scott Reeker's hunt. So he did the llama hunt um, with Ike. You guys might remember that episode. Well, they filmed the entire hunt. Um, Scott's takes... Scott takes one of his best bucks, just this really good deep fork buck, and it's all a, a backcountry hunt in Wyoming. They scouted hard and then hunted hard. Uh, it's a great story. Make sure to check out that episode. 
And then the final one is uh, Dan Picard hunt with his dad for a giant Montana bull. Um, crazy the bull that those guys turned up. And um, so uh, make sure to watch the episode. Uh, just such great content that that uh, us and at Eastman's are putting out. Um, some great Beyond the Grids coming. Some some great things on the Outdoor Channel. Just super excited at the content. And then the the magazine. The magazine is such a huge value, guys. A subscription to the magazine. Um, gets you, you know, the subscriber stories, um, it, it, in the subscriber stories, they really put you in the time and place, uh, uh, the hunt that they were on. They do such a great job of explaining it. And, and that's how I started out was explaining some of these adventures I was on. And then you have the pro staff articles, highly informative, next level information for hunting out West. And then the MRS, the, the members research section, um, it's such a valuable resource for us Western hunters out there and just gives us a feel for what units are good, you know, what counties are good, you know, what states are producing big bulls and big bucks and, and, and what parts of the state are producing them, what counties. Um, there's so much information there that uh, it, it's been a huge research tool for me being able to to go out west and hunt all these different states for these different species. So um, make sure to take advantage of that. Right now we have a deal through the podcast. Text elevated three one nine to two two eight two eight and uh, get you a subscription to both magazines for twenty nine ninety nine and then we'll also get you the MRS booklet a sixty nine ninety nine value. Um, the booklet has all the two thousand eighteen MRS information compiled in one place and it's a gorgeous coffee book style coffee table book style <laughs> okay i said that right uh but it's just a beautiful book with beautiful pictures and every state laid out uh with every species so um make sure to text that or get your subscription to eastman's and um with that uh i am out of here to new zealand um this is just going to be a crazy experience i am so excited that uh average guy like me gets to go there and and uh they get to go chase tar and chamois up high in this alpine environment and then the the the, there's so many different habitats there to new zealand you know you can hunt from you know tempered rainforest with ferns and old growths all the way to to dry arid uh desert type uh like nevada looking habitat and and hunt for red deer and for um, gosh, I get to hunt for fallow deer, which is just an awesome species. And then the tar and chamois up high, like living in the, in the rocks and shoots and, and, um, New Zealand's just such a big Island. I'm just so fortunate to be able to go experience. So I'm pumped. I'm hopping on a plane here in a couple days. So get these podcasts ready to release to you guys. Uh, we got some good ones coming up. Um, so I really appreciate the sport guys. Let's get this thing rolling. So, uh, this is Zach Harold and, uh, me, your host, Brian Barney Eastman's elevated. Here we go. Welcome to the Archery Maniacs podcast. I have a friend of mine, Brian Barney, on the podcast, and he and I are going to dive into arrows. Uh, we're going to talk about the correct spine, fletchings, knocks, inserts, outserts, choosing broadheads, uh, kind of everything that has to go with building arrows to match not only what you're doing, but your type of bow, your setup. Uh, and the things that you're going to be putting it through. So thanks for hopping on the podcast, Brian. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Zach. Appreciate it. Yeah, I, I look forward to it. I, obviously, we 
we're both podcasters and uh, we we talk to a fair amount of people, but it's always fun to uh, talk to somebody that I think really shares the same views and, and excitements as I do. So yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, the same passion. No, I always enjoy our discussions, whether we're, we're recording or not. We both love to bow hunt and love archery. And yeah, I think it's just a great topic you've picked, Zach, as um, – you know, as, as as arrows are such a such a major component uh, of the archery equation, and and really picking an arrow that that matches your bow and, and and mates up with it, so you can get good arrow flight. Ultimately, that's more accuracy and and uh, more trophies on the ground. So I think it's a real important topic, and I think it's it's um, timely as well as right now we're all kind of building our arrows and and getting ready for for hunting season. So um, yeah, good idea, man. Yeah, hey, thanks. I uh, I just lately I've been putting a lot of looking and research into arrows, and honestly, there is not a ton of stuff out there about A to Z arrows and where to start and things like that. I mean, yeah, there's a few videos or whatever here and there, but there's not as many as you would think for how important the arrow is in the equation to shooting your bow. <laughs> well, well, and I think they they miss a couple of the the major important steps to to building or to picking your arrow that that really play a huge factor in your arrow flight. And and, and us guys, we don't, you know, us blue collar bow hunters, we don't have the chance to buy multiple dozens of different brands. We we don't you know, we don't have the luxury of being able to cut them at, at different lengths and shoot them all. Like pretty much we pick out our arrows and they're going to cost us a lot of money. And once we get them, then we make our decisions how we're going to build those arrows. And then those are going to be the arrows we shoot. And so I, I just think it's real important to help people with those major decisions so they can build the absolute best arrows for their setup. And, and like I say, just get more accuracy in the end and, and more trophies on the ground. Yeah, exactly. So with that, Brian, where, you know, where do you start when it comes to looking at arrows and picking out the one that's going to be best for you? Yeah. So, um, you know, first thing I look at is I, I'm looking at brands and performance, and and I want I want things to hold up. I want a good straightness tolerance. Usually, a good straightness tolerance of usually. Uh, what is it, 0. 0.001 would be like a really good straightness tolerance, all the way to 0. 0.005. And and really, us archers, I, I don't know if I even shoot good enough to tell the difference in the straightness tolerances, but I, I like to have good, straight, consistent shafts. And, and another trick, like that we'll get into building our arrows and cutting our arrows to size, but one of the tricks I use on arrows is I'll pick an arrow in the straightest part of that shaft is the middle. So instead of just cutting off one end, I cut off both ends and I use that middle part of the shaft. And that's usually going to be the straightest part of the arrow. But w when I start, I'm looking for, you know, uh, uh, good consistent shafts. I also want a good weight tolerance. Like I want these arrows when I get done with them to have them within one or two grains of each other is usually my tolerance any more than that. And you start to see them fall off at longer distances. And so um, you know, I'm looking for a decent shaft. I mean, lately all the craze has been the micro diameter shafts, which I love. You just get less air drift uh, or less wind drift. Um, and wind drift is the way that the wind affects your, your arrow like sideways when you shoot. And wind drift is such a, 
a, a major piece to your arrow. It, it's amazing even what a five degree, you know, thermal wind will do to your arrow, how much it'll move that off target. And I live in a windy valley, so I shoot in the wind every single day. So a micro shaft is really important to me. Also, a micro shaft, it has less drag when it enters a game animal. There, there's less shaft that you have to move through it, less drag on the shaft going through that animal. So in turn, you're going to get better penetration uh, and you're just going to get a, a better aerodynamic profile going through the air. So I like the micro diameter shafts. Now, arrows um, are getting so expensive. And and sometimes for the <laughs> blue collar bow hunter, like I don't think you need the most expensive shaft on the market. Like I I like you know I I, I shoot a bunch of different brands and there's a bunch of different good ones out there. But just for instance, like the gold tip green labels, they're just their standard green label shaft. Are they the ultra micro diameter? No, they're just a touch bigger than that. But they're just a great straight arrow that you can get for 70 bucks a dozen 80 bucks a dozen it's gonna make for a great hunting arrow you know and so i don't think you need to spend 150 or 200 bucks a dozen to get a good one but i, I look for the right weight tolerance and then i look for the, the the right straightness tolerance and i look for a shaft with good components which i'm sure we'll get into that and then the number one important thing is to match up that spine to your bow yeah, yeah, for sure. I the the spine matching is so important, and uh, there, there's so much that goes into the spine matching your bow. It's not funny, you know. For instance, how long you cut the shaft, or how long your draw length is, how much front of center you have, or how much point weight you have, how much you have on the ass end of an arrow, whether you have, you know. Uh, like a pin knock where they weigh anywhere from you know 12 to 20 grains as opposed to just a regular insert knock and they're four to ten grains you know what two four six eight fletch you know gosh it just depends because where your where your uh where the weight is on the arrow obviously affects the dynamic spine of that arrow even all the way into say like a, an easted arrow where you can uh, put the hit insert inside of the shaft that hit insert being inside of the shaft now changes the dynamic spine of that shaft as well so there's just so much that go into the spine of the arrow yeah uh, so many variables right and um in the spine is probably the most important part of your arrow like uh the the spine is the bend in the arrow and how much that arrow will bend from center of that arrow and and what it does it, is the spine matches up to your bow like you say your draw length your poundage tip weight knock weight you know all of that affects your spine but ultimately what you're trying to get is you're trying to get uh, a perfect spine for your bow so your arrow can absorb that energy and correct its flight coming out of the bow so you can get uh, a, 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 a true flying arrow coming straight out, which in turn, you know, and improves your accuracy, broadhead flight, everything. So your spine is so important to having an accurate bow, and there's so many variables, and it seems like a black magic, but there's a couple different ways to, to pick your spine and a couple guidelines I go off to after, but it, it really is the most important part of, of building your arrow is getting the correct spine to match your bow. Yeah, absolutely. So 
once you, what what are some of the <clears throat> what are some of the the factors that you need to pay attention to in choosing the correct spine as far as your bow is concerned, Brian? Yeah, well, there's a, a couple different ways to do it. So every arrow manufacturer will have you know some sort of a chart that'll show their manufacturer recommendations for what you should be shooting for your draw length and for your poundage. Now, you go down the chart and you find your arrow. Now, I always like to size up at least one, maybe two spots on that chart. And the reason why is is I shoot a 125 up front. I like that front of center. It seems to pull to the target well. But that extra front of center, it weakens your spine a little bit. And so, you know, I always like to, to size up a couple – uh, a couple moves on that chart or a, a, a couple raises on that chart, I always want a stiffer arrow versus a weaker arrow. And so when I go down that chart, I'll find my, my length of my shaft, I'll find my draw weight, and it'll bring me to the shaft I want to choose, and then I'll upsize a couple from that. There's another program out there that I like to use to find the perfect spine for your setup is uh, Archer's Advantage Online, and it's a computer program where you can print sight tapes, you can you can look at, um, it, it's got a shaft selector portion of it where you can go in and you can put in the exact shaft you want to use, the spine, the the cut, and it, it mates that up with your bow and your bow's performance as far as poundage. And like another thing, you know, you look, you say you own a 70-pound bow, and so you go on the chart, 70-pound bow, 26-inch arrow, you find your spine, you maybe size up one or two, but the, the thing that that a lot of people don't realize is a lot of those 70-pound bows, they come pulling 73 or even 74 pounds. That three or four pounds makes a huge difference on your spine. And so you you just want to take into account like the, the different factors that you have. And like that archer's advantage, you put in all the specifics of your bow, all the specifics of your arrow, and then you can look on it and you can adjust the cut on that arrow to adjust the spine. Now, the shorter you cut your arrow, the stiffer that spine's going to be. The longer you cut your arrow, you know, the weaker that spine's going to be. And so I like to really match them up to find a perfect spine, if not just a, a, a little bit stiff spine for my bow. And that seems to be what shoots really well for me. Yeah. What's, what is your thoughts on, you know, obviously you don't want too weak of a spine, but what's kind of your thoughts on an, an arrow spine a slightly stiffer arrow spine, do you think it penetrates better than a slightly weak arrow spine? When I say slightly weak, I don't mean too weak for your setup, but what I'm asking is so let's say a 350 spine arrow works excellent for you, Brian. Do you feel that going lower to a 300 spine arrow, if both arrows weigh the same, do you feel that you would get more penetration out of a stiffer spine arrow? Man, that's an interesting concept to think about. Yeah, because it's stiff, it transfers a lot of that energy to the point. But, you know, Zach, I, I would say no. I would say what you're trying to accomplish here is you're trying to accomplish great um, arrow flight. Like you want great arrow flight for good accuracy 
And if you're getting good arrow flight, like that that arrow, it, it it's hitting that animal and it's not kicking sideways. It's driving all that energy to the front. So, you know, if you get too stiff a spine, it's not going to react well to your bow. It's too stiff so it won't recover well, and so you're not getting good arrow flight. So, therefore, you're using up a lot of energy of that arrow just trying to correct that flight and a lot of that speed. And when it hits that animal, it may be all the way corrected and flying true, or it may be flying sideways where you're not driving all that energy into that broadhead. So. I think the most important thing is to get good arrow flight, and no matter what spine you get good arrow flight, whether that's a 350 or a 300, like that arrow is coming out of that bow true and transferring all that energy to the point and not wasting any energy to correct that arrow flight. So I, I really think it's about matching up the right arrow to the right bow, and then no, I don't. I don't think a, a stiffer spine is going to get you more penetration or less because really you're not driving the weight from the knock point of the arrow to the front. Like you're really carrying a lot of that energy in the front of that arrow with your front of center. I, I just think it takes all that energy and drives into that animal. So no, I, I don't think it makes much of, much of a difference as far as penetration. That's, that's, that's a really good point. Uh, and the whole thought process that I have behind that thought or that concept is with a slightly stiffer spine, you know, let's say you shoot and you hit a shoulder blade of a deer. Um, with a slightly stiffer spine, would, would it be possible that the arrow would not flex as much and, uh, and therefore would absorb less energy than with a weaker spine? Uh, it's, it's just an interesting concept, and I'm not saying I'm not asking you that like a like a you should know this. It's it's just a thought that's been going through my head. Like you know, if you got a 300 spine and you hit the shoulder blade, and you have a 350 spine or even a 400 spine, and you hit that shoulder blade. Will the arrow buckle less at a 300 spine and therefore lose less energy? I, I don't know. It's kind of an interesting concept. If both of them shoot well out of your bow, you know what I mean. It's interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Well, it um, <laughs> no, it definitely makes sense your thought process. I I just think you know the difference between a three hundred and a four hundred spine. You you can't really tell as it hits a target. Like it's such a a, a small difference as far as bending that arrow in fact you take both of those arrows and bend them you you really can't see them and and really the difference between those spines they measure it in the middle by a certain weight and then pulling and seeing the flex of that arrow and i just don't think there's enough difference there that you're going to notice more or less penetration but your your theory you know it does make sense your thought process i can see the way you're thinking but for me no i i just don't think it makes much of a difference or i've never had an arrow buckle and break in half when it hits something hard you know it it seems like it transfers yeah, yeah. all that energy to the front of that arrow um but but then there again like your your theory and thought process makes sense and maybe there is a a slight difference that you get with a stiffer spine and penetration yeah, who, who knows? It'd be an interesting test, though, for sure. Um, but so, so here you have, you know, you went and you picked out your your arrow and your spine, and you know, you utilize the the spine chart that, you know, whether you order them offline or you go to a pro, pro shop or whatever, you know, utilize the spine chart that that comes with the specific arrow, you know, company that you're looking at. So, so then what? You know, are you? Uh, they show up. Are you cutting them all to, uh, you know, I don't, is your draw length 27? 
Uh, 26 and a half. 26 and a half. So let's say, are you cutting them all to 27 inches or are you getting those arrows and starting at like 27 and a half and seeing if they group and then slightly smaller and seeing if they group better or what's kind of your next step? Well, I like to cut those arrows like the cut plays so much of a role on the spine. And so usually by the time the arrows come, I know what my exact cut is for a 400 spine to get a perfect spine running through my bow. Now, as far as length and choosing a length, I like the shortest arrow I can shoot. The shortest arrow, you think of an arrow flying through the air, like the I, I was talking about wind drift earlier, and the wind drift is the way the wind affects your arrow. Well, a shorter arrow, it, it's less surface area for that wind to affect. So the shorter it is... You know, the and with a heavy arrow, it's just affected less by the wind and, and affected less by conditions. And so I'm always trying to shoot the shortest arrow I can. And so, you know, I could probably step up to a 350 or 340 spine, but I choose to shoot a 400 because I can get, you know, the shortest arrow I can. So my kind of rule of thumb is is usually like an inch past my rest is about the shortest I'll cut them and feel comfortable with it. And so, you know, I kind of take my rest and I'll go an inch past that, which is actually a really short arrow. I think my shaft cut on my arrow is like, and I'm building arrows right now is why it's fresh in my mind, but I think my shaft cut is like 25 and a quarter inches on a 26 and a half inch draw length. So, um, yeah. But, but I try to cut them like an inch past my rest and really, you know, unless you're trying to achieve a higher weight with your arrow, there's no reason to be shooting a, a longer arrow through your bow. Unless, like you say, that's where your shaft cut is to get a, a good spine. It isn't going to hurt anything to have two inches sticking outside your rest or even two and a half or three. Um, it'll still shoot the same as long as your spine is designed right. But for me, I like to cut it about an inch beyond my rest. Um, as long as my spine matches up that way. And, and that's kind of what I start with is cutting them. And like I say, I like to cut them both in the front and the back so I get the, the straightest part of the shaft. Okay, that makes sense. So uh, a couple questions come up there with cutting the length of your shaft. Um, are you – do you shoot with any type of – overdraw as, as far as you're like a hamski overdraw on your rest or is your rest as far back as it can go like what's the position of your rest my position of my rest is all has to do with the way my bow torque tunes and so like gotcha. I, tor I torque tune my bows which means you can move your rest and your sight in and out towards and away from your riser to get this forgiving setup on your bow to where you know even if you torque your bow it still hits in the middle so it just makes for a real forgiving setup so that's usually where my rest ends up but no I just shoot a standard rest that, that bolts to the burger button hole you know and it's got a slight bit of adjustment like maybe two inches of adjustment to or from the, the riser maybe not even that much maybe an inch inch and a half and so mine's kind of dictated by my torque tuning of my bow but but really my rest is just in a standard position basically middle of the bolt pattern but it does it kind of gives you a bit of an overdraw as your rest hits back and the things you want to be careful there is to make sure that you know your your, your broadhead's not going to hit your hand or something when you draw back or you know that it, it doesn't hit your riser as your rest picks it up like you've got enough clearance there so it's always good to find your cut of your arrow and cut one and draw back and and another thing you can do with your bow is like the all the ways you tune your bow it's telling you how your arrow flies out of your bow so if you're starting from scratch you may take that first arrow 
and um, you, you know you may cut it and you may cut it two inches beyond your rest and and then you know you set up that one arrow and then you shoot it into paper and just see how that that arrow is going to react to your bow and now you can change the spine and reaction of that arrow by cutting another quarter inch or half inch off it at a time to find the perfect fit and arrow till you get it an inch beyond your rest or until you find perfect arrow flight out of it because adjusting that spine that little bit will will adjust how that arrow comes out but for me I, i'm pretty confident in my 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 program that archer's advantage of finding the correct spine the correct cut like i've done all the calculations for mine and shot my bow so much and i've shot a 400 spine for so many years that that i've got a real good idea what my cut needs to be so for me you know i i kind of cut one arrow and set it up and drop back and shoot it make sure it shoots okay and then i i end up cutting all my arrows at that length and going for it i got you so are you ever worried, you know, with your uh, <clears throat> with your bow being set up that way, and the the rest, uh, or not the rest, your arrows being, I think you said twenty five and a half inches. Are you ever at all worried about, you know, your your fingers coming in contact with the broadhead or or anything like that? It's it's definitely something to consider, um, but I've got I've got plenty of clearance when my rest picks up my arrow, and I I've always shot my broadheads close to the end of my riser, or close to right over top my riser, and I've just never had an issue. I've never nicked myself, you know, and I I set up my bows to where you know I don't have mechanical failure. I don't have my rest where it doesn't pick up my arrow or slides it over to my hand. Like my rest works a thousand out of a thousand times, or you know, so like my system's been you know i've proven my system to myself that that i that i don't need to worry about or it's not it's not a concern for me like i just want good arrow flight the the shortest arrow i can get for for the least amount of wind drift and and the best aerodynamics and so it's not something that i worry about but i i do think it's a good idea to cut your one arrow or to figure out what your cut is and to draw back on your bow and look for that broadhead to like catch the end of your riser look look for any problems that you're going to have but you know to really you've got a you've got this um razor blades on the front of your arrow like like that's that's unsafe by nature no matter where that arrow ends up whether it ends up <laughs> over your riser an inch out two inches out like something bad can always happen you've got razor blades on the tip of your projectile and so i think it's something that you always have to be safe with but it, it's it, it doesn't concern me at all to have it draw and have that broadhead end up like over the riser or just in front of the riser it feels completely safe to me like i, I don't think you need it to stick out two or three inches for safety or anything Thing like that gotcha gotcha yeah that's you know and it's i've always felt safe like that as well um you know like like don't don't put your finger up there in front of your arrow you know you don't shoot your rifle and stick your finger in front of the barrel <laughs> like, you know um because you just you go to you see brand new people getting set up and you see their arrows sticking way out there and and then they'll say something well, like, you know, the pro shop told me to put it here so <clears throat> I don't hit my finger. And I'm thinking, oh, boy. Well, okay, you know. And that <laughs> is – that, is that some... makes you feel comfortable. <laughs> yeah, that is something to consider though, Zach. You bring up a good point. Like um, 
you know, I've been shooting my grip for 20 years, and so my fingers never come up. Like, I, I just don't – it's just not a maneuver I do, or it's not in my form. It's not – you know, I can shoot 10,000 arrows, and my fingers never come up. But if you are a new shooter, and you do kind of space out your fingers or put your fingers high, like, uh, that'd be something for you to definitely consider. Like, it, it, if that's the case, spine up one spine and cut your arrows a little bit longer, especially if you're apt to put your fingers up. Man, you don't want to have some accident happen in archery. So um, I, I think you bring up a really good point. And if you are a new shooter or if you are just getting um, accustomed or used to your grip, like that may be something to consider. Now, I just don't think – I haven't seen very many accidents. I haven't seen any accidents really where people actually shoot their, their hand or their finger. Like I don't – I don't think it works out, or I don't think my fingers are long enough where I could even get them in the way of that broadhead. But I, I think people should definitely look at their setup and, and look at their arrows that they're cutting, and, and something you should consider if you're a new shooter. So I think you bring up a good point. Yeah, it's just it's just interesting, you know. Um, it's it's like I say, it's just interesting. <laughs> uh, when well, real quick though, when you say spine up, just so the audience knows. Uh, are you meaning go from a 350 to a 400 or a 350 to say a 300? Yeah, good question. Um, yep. So the the smaller the number, the stiffer the spine. So yeah, I kind of say that backwards. I'm glad you clarified that, Zach. As uh, when I say spine up, I'm you're, I'm cutting my arrow longer, so I want a stiffer spine. So yeah. Uh, stiffer spined, I'd go from a 400 to a 350 or a 350 to a 300. So, so that's what I meant when I said spine up is you're, you're getting the next stiffer spine up in that arrow manufacturer so you can cut it longer and still have a good reaction to your bow. Yeah, no. And, and that's, uh, I, I want you to clarify that because now anyone listening, if you go to your pro shop or whatever else, Nine times out of ten, that's how it's said in the archery world. Spine up means you're going to a stiffer spine, not a higher number in spine, which in I – th- I believe every arrow manufacturer out there, a higher number is a weaker spine. Um, so when people say spine up, they're meaning you would technically go lower in numbers, which is a stiffer spine. Um, and that's a, he brought up another good point. The longer your arrow, length of an arrow shaft weakens the spine. So that's why he's saying if you have a longer arrow, you would then need to go up in spine to have a stiff enough arrow for your bow. So, uh, all right, Brian. Well, we we got your arrow picked out. We have your arrows cut to length. Now, what are we gonna do? Yeah. So now. Um... You know, we want to get our components all put on and and get ready to fletch these arrows up. And so components are so important on an arrow. And and part of the components, they're really mated with the arrows that you purchase. Now, you can swap out some components here and there, but pretty much if you buy gold tip arrows, you're using using gold tip components. If you buy Easton arrows, you're using Easton components. And they, they all have pretty good components put together nowadays. So, you know, it's just something that I like to look when I'm purchasing arrows as I look at the knock of... A consistent knocking point is really important, and basically for a consistent knocking point, I want all those knocks to fit on the string the same way. And 
and what I look for in a knock is I'm looking for a strong knock and like the plastic wings on either side. I'm looking that you can't bend those too easy. They're not flexible. That it's a, a stiff knock in there that seats into that string the whole time the, the, the same way every single arrow. And so I'll look at the knocks and I'll just make sure that those wings aren't flexible or bendy or maybe even break. You don't want them to be brittle either, you know, or have them break as you're firing off. So I'll kind of mess with the knocks a little bit. As far as the inserts, you know, I'm not a huge fan of those hidden inserts. So the problem with the hidden insert is is that you hit anything hard, the front of your arrow mushrooms immediately. And so that arrow is gone. And if you're paying 130, 140 bucks a dozen, you know, that's $13 arrow, $10 arrow or whatever. So it can get pretty expensive yeah. pretty quick. So I, I want a tough arrow. I, I want these components to be able to hold up. So, you know, Gold Tip has great components. They actually have a, a – oh – what do they call it, like a collar that goes on the back of the arrow that then the knock sits inside. So if you ever hit the back of your arrow, it hits that collar and deflects it, um, or it busts the knock and you just replace the knock. So that's a, a really hardy component system on the back end of the arrow. Um, but, but yeah, I'm just looking for a good consistent knock. And then on the front, I, I don't like the hidden inserts because, like I say, when they hit anything hard, the front of that arrow mushrooms. And so, you know, I really like like a, a combined insert, one that goes inside the shaft and then like has a ballistic collar on it that protects the end of the shaft that connects to the broadhead. So, you know, there, there's a few different companies doing it. Like I'm using one from Bloodsport right now. Also, Gold Tip makes a great one. They make a ballistic collar. And, and basically what it does is it just protects that shaft to insert connection. And with those things, I've shot those things into cinder blocks. And I unscrew the tip, put a new tip in, and I can shoot that arrow again. They're just built tough where they can hit rocks, they can hit bone, they can, you know, hit hit anything tough. And then, um, you know, they, they stand the test of time. I'm also, like, as we're talking about picking out your arrow here a little bit, like, I also, I'm not a big fan of the aluminum wrapped arrows. Like, they're, they're pretty expensive now. I... I like the micro diameter. I like aluminum wrap because that is slick on penetration. You know, the less resistance you have on an animal, the more penetration you're going to get. And, and they're a decent arrow, but the problem with aluminum is they bend. And so, you know, shooting these arrows, you know, you've got to make your, your practice arrows last and your hunting arrows last. And those practice arrows, it's just really easy to get bends in them and when you're shooting them. And then if you have a bent arrow that's in your, your practice bunch of arrows, you've got an arrow that's not hitting right with the group. So you think, you know, there's something wrong with your bow or you really have to address other problems there, but it can just be a bent arrow. So I, I'm really not a big fan of those aluminum wrapped arrows just because they get bends in them where the carbon always seems to stay true. And so I'm, I'm just a big fan of the, the carbon arrows for myself. Now, some guys do fine by them and, and um, you know, maybe they take really good care of them in practice and um, don't hit anything hard in the field and they work for those guys. And I'm not saying it's the wrong decision, but for me, I hate to have bent arrows in my, in my practice group of arrows. I, I hate to, that I can bend an arrow and ruin it, you know, that then it's no good and, you know, I'm just not a guy that's going to use an arrow straight or anything. So I'm not a big fan of the aluminum wrapped arrows. <laughs> you don't you don't want to carry an arrow straightener in the in the backcountry? <laughs> no, it doesn't make the cut. Uh, I mean, I know I, that's they seem pretty lightweight though, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 interesting that you bring up those cuz I shot the um the deep six injections for a while 
and I I shot lights out with them. They hit like a hammer, but just like you're saying, I was so used to shooting carbon arrows that I I forgot to even look to see if they were straight until you know I don't remember I missed or I fell on what something, and I picked it up and was like son of a gun that's bent, and then it clicked and I was thinking shit, I better check all of my arrows. <laughs> Right? Well, and if you do something like fall on your quiver during a hunt, you could bend all six of your arrows really quick and have no good straight arrows. Yep, and then what? <laughs> yeah, you're you're not shooting with any accuracy or confidence, that's for sure. So I'm not a big fan of those. Some guys make them work, and like you say, they do hit hard, and they do have a great straightness tolerance, but I just don't like that that, that fact that they can bend on me. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, and that, that makes perfect sense. So here, you know, you have just like we talked, you know, you have your all carbon arrow, you have it cut to length. Um now it now what's your next step? Are you you know, you do you put your 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 you know, whether it's your insert or outsert or you put whatever Usually nine times out of ten, unless you're somebody that's really in-depth into arrow building, you're going to put the components that came with the arrow. So are you weighing those components out and weighing the shafts without the components and matching, mixing and matching so that they create the most consistent weight? Or are you just putting components with shafts? Yeah, you know, I don't. I, I have done that before, trying to weigh them out, but really the glue weighs so much, how you fletch your fletchings weighs so much, you know, that 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 really you're splitting hairs. And, and to be completely honest, like I want – so I, I want uh, the, the best consistency with my arrows and my bow, but when you get all said and done, just the glue you use makes a difference, and so – Really, for me, I don't even think I shoot good enough to tell the difference between two grains. So that's usually my tolerance. Like I can take them out at range, and I just can't tell the difference between two grains, and they seem to hit consistent for me. And so, you know, I'm not a freak about weighing my components or my shafts or or mating them up or matching them up. Um, I, I just pretty much run with it. I I I use my components. It's important to find like the right glue and the right product. So your knocks will go in without glue. Um, but but as far as your inserts or your outsert or however it's put in, I I like to use that uh, uh, that gold tip tip grip glue. God, that stuff's just great. And so I use that for like my inserts and things. And so what I'll do is I'll I'll clean the inside of my arrow shaft, clean the outside of my arrow shaft, just uh, wipe it with some alcohol on a paper towel or maybe a Q-tip with a paper towel and kind of clean that out. And then, uh, yeah, I just get ready to glue everything in, and I, I glue in all my inserts or outserts or whatever I'm using, get all those glued in, get all my knocks put on, and, and now I'm set to go, set to fletch these arrows. Yeah, absolutely. And one one important thing that um, uh, you mentioned but might go missed is you want to make sure when you go to put your – outsert or insert or whatever you're putting in there you want to make sure that the knock end does not have a knock in it because if it does some of those knocks sit in there so tightly that it'll actually when you push in your insert or outsert it will create pressure inside there and it'll slowly work the the outsert or insert that you just glued in there uh, especially if you got a, a tip screwed into it it'll slowly work that out because the pressure has nowhere to go so if you 
put all that, you know, you put your components and glue those in without a knock-in, they'll stay in place a lot more efficiently for you. <laughs> oh, good tip. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, all right, let's dive into fletchings because I have quite a few questions about fletchings themselves. So, why don't we kind of cover your fletching process and then then I'll ask you a couple questions about it. Yeah, for sure. So. Fletchings are so important and and they're so overlooked. You know, they um, people just kind of pick their fletchings and go, but they the fletchings are the steering of your arrow. And so, you know, you want good arrow flight, but what the fletchings do is they they fix any inconsistencies in your arrow flight. They they fix any wind drift, any wind drag. They just they keep your arrows going towards target and create accuracy. So they're the steering for your arrows. Um, so, so they're really important and it, it all depends on like what broadhead you're shooting. Um, you know, what your arrow setup is like, uh, it plays such a big role in the fletchings that you want to choose and the fletchings you want to flesh with. Also, like the fletchings can, can make noise or can make a hum or a whistling and, and those animals, I've listened to them down range and you hear the bow going off and then you hear the fletchings whistling at you, you know, and so you want to. Yep, exactly. And so you want to get like a quiet fletch as well. And so, you know, it's tough as again, we don't have the the option to fletch a bunch of different arrows and try them out. I try to talk to buddies or uh, guys I respect and, and then I have tested out a bunch in my days. And so I kind of found one that I like. Um, and, and you also, you want your fletching so you, you want it to be – to not have much memory. So if you fold it up inside a target because it penetrated too far, you don't want that arrow to always have folded up fletchings. You want it to be able to not have much memory and recover and then go back to its its true spot. And so um, the, the fletchings that I've used that I really like are flex, flex fletch. Um, and, and, and they, I use their silent night 200. And so it's a two inch fletching low profile. And so what you're trying to pick with a, with a fletching, you want a fletching big enough to steer your arrow, but you don't want overkill as well. Like we all used to shoot big four and five inch fletchings and you see the recurve guys, they shoot four and five inch fletchings, four to five inches long, higher profile. And what that does is it gives your, your arrow a ton of steering. And so shooting out of a recurve, your arrow doesn't always come out perfect, but this, this, these big fletchings on the back will help steer that arrow. Also, a fixed blade head flies way different than a mechanical head. A fixed blade head, it's kind of like having fletchings on the front of your arrow. And so they're really going to they're gonna hit the air in flight, and they're going to try to steer your arrow from the front then. And so your back fletchings have to be big enough to be able to counteract that steering of that front broadhead and steer your arrow correctly again. So like these recurve guys would use four- and five-inch fletchings. Also, they're using you know a, a big cut-on-contact fixed blade broadhead, and so they need a lot of steering also their arrows aren't coming out of their bow perfectly every time so you need those arrows to be able to correct your flight and still hit in the middle and so picking your fletchings it, it it's tough and everybody's gone to these short two inch fletch fletchings um because a shorter fletch 
it it collects less wind drag, which wind drag is is the process of how wind hits your arrow as it's in flight. So basically, a bigger fletch is going to slow down your arrow faster, so you're going to lose speed. So with that extra steering that you get, you you lose energy out of it and you lose speed. So that's why you don't want to go overkill on your fletchings. So a, a two inch fletching, what everybody's gone to nowadays, our bows tune pretty good. You know, we talked about you know paper tuning our arrow. So they're coming out at a consistent flight. So your fletchings don't have to work too hard to correct things, and especially not with a field point or you know with an expandable broadhead. You can get away with those two inches fletchings steering your arrow. Now, as you start to get into like a fixed blade arrow, like I don't think that three two inch fletchings are enough to steer a fixed blade arrow. Like I think I just find that that. It's it's not as forgiving, and when you miss, instead of missing by six inches, it misses by a foot. You just don't get that correction in flight. So for like a fixed blade broadhead, I would step up my my fletchings to like a, a three-inch long fletching or to go to like a four-fletch. A four-fletch is a is a great idea because a four-fletch, if you think of the profile of that vein, it doesn't catch any more wind drift. Like the sideways wind on that arrow, it's still the same height, the same profile vein, and it's spinning going through the air. But what four-fletch does is it gives you more steering on the back of the the arrow. So basically what you get with a four-fletch is you get more steering and you don't pick up any more wind drift, you know? And so the four-fletch is a really good design. So I can get fixed blades to fly really good out of my bows with a four fletch two inch with a fixed blade on the front um but but yeah that's kind of the gist of what goes through my thought process as far as picking fletchings gotcha gotcha so when it comes time to pick the fletchings how much attention are you paying to uh the, the overall weight of each individual fletching um none no, I just fletch them up. I don't weigh my fletchings or weigh them out. I just like the glue weighs so much like in in your insert and gluing those fletchings that you're just going to get variables no matter what you do. And and I mean the, the, the difference between the weight of those fletchings is so minuscule. Like it's it's so small that, that I don't worry about at all. And as far as picking a fletching, I'm not looking for a lightweight fletching, a heavyweight fletching. I'm just looking for a fletching that, that – that, that operates and performs correctly. So basically, I'm just looking for a fletching that I like, and then I don't separate them on weight. I don't uh, uh, pick a fletching due to its weight, trying to pick a, a you know one that that's lightweight or one that's heavier or anything like that. I don't pay any attention. I'm just performance. I get my fletchings. I glue all four on, and I'm good to go. The only place where I mess with my weight tolerances a little bit, and like I say, like you know. Two grains is is my is my tolerance factor. When I get done building my arrows and I weigh a dozen arrows, as long as they're within two grains of each other, I feel like I'm good to go. It, at least as far out as I shoot, you know, even even as far out as I practice, out to 100, 110, 120 yards, I just don't know, notice any difference in two grains of of arrow weight. Like I I don't shoot good enough to tell the difference between the two, you know, and so. My my weightness tolerance is 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 two grains. Now what I will do is I'll I'll weigh all my shafts when I get done to make sure they're within that tolerances, and then I can also weigh my broadheads. And then like you were talking, matching up components with shafts. 
I'll kind of match up my 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 broadhead to the arrows because there will be you know some broadheads that are a little bit lighter, a little bit heavier, and some shafts that are a little bit lighter, a little bit heavier. So to keep within that tolerance, all you know, all kind of mix and match as I'm putting my arrows together. But that's really the only weight sorting I do when building my arrows. Now some guys take it to a higher level, and I'm not saying that that's that's wrong or that you shouldn't do that. You know, you talk about weighing all your fletchings like. You know, that's that's really paying attention to the details and getting all your your arrows to weigh the exact same amount. You know, that's that's building a really good set of arrows and that's really good consistency. And I'm you know, there isn't anything wrong with that. Like I've just over the years, I've done it and taken it to that level and just don't notice any difference in my accuracy. So for me, I just build them all and weigh them at the end. And as long as they're within two grains, I'm good to go. Gotcha. And I I should have done a better job asking that question because I wasn't um, absolutely. Yeah, your you know your fleshings can play a very minuscule uh, amount in in the overall weight of your arrow, but I was meaning more along the lines of the the total weight of say your four fleshings affecting your arrow spine. You know, because I mean, as you know, like I have I have some. Uh, some AE wave veins, which are actually made for recurves, but they're super light. They're they're literally 2.3 grains per fletch. Now on the opposite end of that, I have some a some uh, quick spin veins that are way heavier. They're you know eight to ten grains per fletch. I mean they're heavy. Um, so I guess when I was asking that, do you just say Okay, this fletching is going to affect my spine in this way. Here's what I need to do to mitigate that, or you just not worry about the fletching's effect on the spine at all. Yeah, I don't really worry about it at all. Like I, I've picked my spine now and done my cut, and in my in my program, I actually enter in all my veins and my weight on my back of the arrow. But but really, the difference of five or ten grains on the back of your arrow. Uh, I mean, you are right. It does affect the spine, but it, it's such a, a small effect on it. Like I, I would put more emphasis switching from like a hundred grain head to a one twenty-five. That's like twenty-five grains. Of, you know, switching up that weight in that spine. So I, I don't really worry about it too much, Zach. But um, it, it definitely does affect the spine of that arrow, although very, very small. Um, it does affect the spine, and you know maybe that's something that you just plan for when you're picking your spine. You know that you're gonna four fletch it, or you know you're gonna fletch it with these fletchings, and so you know you kind of punch that into your calculations when you're choosing your spine. Gotcha. So as far as choosing between three and four fletch, uh, do you do you you know do you literally go out there? And you have, say, two arrows that are three fletch and two arrows or three arrows, you know, three that are three fletch, three that are four fletch. Screw your broadheads on and see which one shoots better. Um, you know, what's what's kind of the test that you you went through to determine that, yep, I'm shooting a four fletch or is it just, hey, I know the four fletch is going to work better, so I'm just going to shoot them. Blind faith. <laughs> no, hey, that's awesome. That no, I uh, no, I did. Like when I switched to four fletch, I did. I did like um 
like a, a scientific breakdown uh, uh, of how the the fletchings flew. But you know, to tell you the truth, Zach, so I shot like a hundred arrows of each, you know, and I shot them with broadheads, with field points. I shot them at different distances. Now the four fletch did test higher, um, but I'm not so sure that that was just my shooting rather than the the measuring of the groups. They they shoot really close together, and so you know, for me, it's it's almost. I I don't want to say it's anecdotal, but it's like I just know that four fletches steers a broadhead better than a three fletch. Now, how can I tell that? Now, shooting groups and measuring and writing all that information down, breaking it down to the closest per target, four fletch did fly better for me. But, you know, it's almost like just a forgiveness factor. It's just like I know when I'm shooting a three fletch and I'm shooting a fixed blade broadhead and I made a little mistake to the left, that arrow should be three or four inches from the bullseye if I was shooting a field point or, or shooting an expandable. But now all of a sudden with that three fletch, I'm eight or ten inches away. And so I just know that I'm not getting a forgiving flight out of my arrow. And I can tell that shooting these these fixed blades, they're finicky. If I make any mistakes in my form or if I'm not right on the spot when it breaks, like it, it doesn't end up in the middle. It's just not a forgiving setup. But as I start to shoot a four fletch, I can feel that steering in my arrow, and now when I make a mistake with a fixed blade, and I should be, you know, like maybe my pin was three inches away from the spot, and my arrow ends up three inches from the spot, like I can just see my groups tighten, and I can I can feel that control of that forefletch coming in. Now, you know, w- the the next move would be like I have recurve arrows built up. And so, you know, I shoot those with feathers, and they're a four-inch feather. And so now I stick a fixed blade on there, and I'll just shoot those and kind of play around with it and look at the forgiveness in the groups. And there's, there's like this, there's this, the, there's this point of diminishing returns to where like you're almost right. overkill <laughs> on your arrows with the fletchings, you know. And so it's just trying to find that that happy medium, but. Really, Zach, I mean, a lot of my knowledge is just based upon, you know, years and years and years of messing with my bows and my arrow setups and shooting them and talking to intelligent shooters that I respect. And and so, like, I just gather information from trusted sources, and then I do my own, you know, scientific studies on things, you know, where I'll, I'll measure and write things down. But then a lot of it is just feel and just pass knowledge and and just knowing that a four fletch is going to steer my arrow, knowing the science behind it, and like um, so so a lot of those, a lot of my my choices, like I just really think that that us as archers, no matter how good we shoot, it's just tough for us to tell these little differences that we're making in things, you know. So it it is almost just a, a blind faith belief in it, but you know there is some some scientific da- data behind it too. Yeah, no, and I, I think a lot – honestly, a lot goes to say for the blind faith belief because, I mean, like you say, um, and, and I agree with you completely, I, I don't know of anyone out there that could tell the difference between plus or minus one or two grains on their arrows. Um, however, with that being said, if somebody is going through the process of building their arrows and it makes them personally feel more confident in their arrows – to, to weigh all that out and do all that and have them closer, cool, but that that's kind of like we're talking. That goes into that blind faith where it's like, hey, I'm going to do this because it makes me feel good, um, but it's just – so I just – I agree. I think there's just a lot to be said for that as well. 
Yeah, you make a good point. Like, there's a reason that there's a placebo effect. A placebo effect is you give somebody a sugar pill or a, a placebo that does nothing for you, but they believe it does something for them, and all of a sudden they they fix the whatever's going wrong with them, or they find performance in it when it, there's actually nothing there. It's just their human mind believing it, you know. And there there's a lot to be said from that. One of the most powerful tools you can take into the mountains with you is confidence and building that confidence. Confidence yeah. comes through through trial and error, and building that confidence is through your 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 practice sets, uh, making good groups, making that shot always count, you know. And and so yeah, I mean the the devil's in the details a lot of times. And uh, can I really notice the difference between that? No, but but my brain says that I put in the work that that I know all my arrows are consistent weight, and I know that they group and shoot good together, and so. Yeah, sometimes that placebo effect is real, and if it it makes you have more confidence in the mountains, then it's working one way or another. If it isn't working with your arrows, it's working with your brain, you know, which uh, it's all good. (laughs) Yep, absolutely. (laughs) Oh, cool. All right, well, here we go. We have, you know, we have our arrows fletched. We have our components as far as outsert or inserts into the arrow. What about knock? And the importance of knock fit, are you generally just putting the knock that came with the arrow on there or what What do you usually do? Yeah, um, well, and uh, one thing too, Zach, I just want to circle back to as we're putting our fletchings on is I like a, a, heat, a helical fletch. Um, so, so basically the way the fletching steer your arrow is by spinning it. And like, if you ever think, um, you know, that's why rifles are so accurate is because they spin the bullet coming out of the rifle. If you've ever just shot a shotgun slug out of a shotgun that doesn't spin coming out they're they're, they're really inaccurate. So that, that spinning effect is, is a, a lot of what stabilizes your arrow in flight. And so I like to put as much helical as I can get on those arrows um, with a two inch fletch and still get good contact with the shaft as I'm fletching up. So, you know, I'm not, I think they call it, they may call it like an offset or something like that, but I'm shooting like if you were to put it in degrees, I think it's about like a two degrees or three degrees. I, I use a Bitsenberger Fletcher and, and it allows me to change the angle of my fletch on there. And so basically I'm just able to change the angle on that, that four fletch to where the front of the fletching and the back of the fletching still stick to the shaft really well. But it, it gets that helical effect on that arrow so it spins coming out of my bow, which stabilizes it better and faster. Okay, yeah, no, that I I can't believe I completely skipped over the whole actual fleshing process because that's that's pretty important, obviously. Um, well, and so the the right glue on those. Start to- Oh, and the the right glue ahead, on those ahead. fletchings, and um, another trick I use, like you want to get glue all the way that fletching, and then you want that fletching to like the the fletching has, you know, where it contacts the shaft. It's got this spot where you can push down and it adheres the whole part of that fletching to that arrow. And so you want to make sure that it pushes down really snug on there and you get a good glue on that arrow and also finding the right glue. Again, I like that gold tip tip grip. It's just great glue. There's some other good ones out there like this platinum. It's a pretty good glue, but you want to find a good glue that works good with that fletching. There is nothing worse than than peeling fletchings off your arrow. And, and the other thing I do too is I – 
when I get done all fletching my arrow, say all four, four fletches or three fletches are on there, is I put a dab of glue on the front of the fletching and a dab of glue on the back of the fletching. And it just locks it in so it makes it tougher to peel. And another thing I use that, that you mentioned at the beginning is I, I like to use cresting on my arrow. So I just use this sticker cresting, and the cresting is just like a paint on the back of your arrow. So I just use like a wrap, and it's just a sticker basically. And I like to see my arrow and where it hits and watch it in flight. And so I like to have like a, a, a bright back to my arrow, and it's just I can read the shot better on an animal. So you know I use like green as my highlight color, like a real neon green. And so I'll use a neon green wrap, and I can just see that arrow better in flight now. Wraps can be a pain in the butt because to refletch your arrows, you know, they're they're pain in the, they're an extra step you have to put on your arrows. They're extra weight, but again, I just like seeing. I like. I like seeing where my arrow hits. When I shoot at an animal, I want to be able to read where that arrow hits so I can, you know, adjust my, my recovery time, whether I've got to give that animal, you know, half an hour because I hit him perfectly or I got to give him four hours because the arrow hit a little bit back. Um, but I really like to read that arrow and it also makes it easier to find your arrows. And, and I love the, the flight of an arrow too. Like tracking that arrow in the air is one of my favorite parts of archery. But so I like to also use a, a cresting on my arrow for visibility. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you there. And not only that too, you know, if you get a, if you get a pass through on an animal and you're unsure of the hit, you know, if you have a, a light colored flat, uh, wrap, say it's white or light yellow, whatever, it doesn't matter, light colored, you can pick it up and you can really easily see what color the blood is on there. And that helps tell whether it's lung hit or liver hit or guts or whatever else. So that, that makes it that much more helpful as well. On top of that, I feel that your fletchings, they just generally seem to adhere to the wrap better than to the shaft itself, I think. Yeah, those are both really good points. Yeah, I've been able to actually shoot an animal and then glass my arrow and see blood on the back of that fletch. Mine kind of go from white to that neon green, and I can actually see the blood on you know on my wrap from glassing my arrow, not walking up there disturbing anything, so I know I hit that animal. But yeah, th those are both really good points, Zach. Yeah, so uh, thanks. <laughs> um as far as um as far as the the helical and the offset and everything like that, what's your thoughts on what's too much and how I mean I, I don't want it to be a loaded question. I don't mean for it to be but how, I mean, how do you know what kind of the happy medium is, and what's gonna what's working best for you? Yeah, I think it just comes with um, I, I think it comes with with steering the arrow correctly. Like like I say, I'm not afraid of getting too much now. As you start to get into the bigger fletchings, four and five inches, you know, you can get too much helical, and and what it does is it spins your arrow. It creates a, a a real stable arrow in flight. You're just using up a lot of your energy. Again, that helical it creates drag on your arrow, and wind drag slows down your arrow. So you're using energy to send that arrow through the air, but there's a certain amount that's necessary to spin that arrow to get stabilization, to get good accuracy. And so f for me, too much is not making contact with my shaft correctly where I'm not getting a good glue down on my fletchings. That's the breaking point for me. So I try to find where I can get as much turn on those arrows or as much degree on them as I can, but still making contact with the shaft. And like these small diameter shafts, 
they just don't allow you to get four or five or six percent helical on it. Like, you know, two, three, three percent is going to be about all you can get on it. So that's what I try to shoot for. And again, you know, it's it's one of those things where you either have to trust people that are doing it, trust your knowledge, you know, ask questions. But we just we, we don't have the chance to fletch up, you know, a bunch of different arrows in different sizes and different helical and shoot them and measure it and see what what gets us the best accuracy. You know, a lot of it just comes from from feel and ideas and thoughts you have. And, you know, maybe your broadheads aren't shooting very forgiving. Well, well, that would be, you know. You know, now I want to stick a bigger fletch on, or I want to fletch him with a bigger helical to give him more spin, more stabilization, or you know maybe what I'm shooting, you know, does have good arrow flight, and I I am getting forgiving flight, and the way to tell forgiving flight is is shooting you know groups of both field points. Field points are going to be a really forgiving you know shot you know as you you don't have anything grabbing wind on the front of that arrow so if those group good you know then your broadhead should be grouping similar and if your broadheads are are real finicky and they're missing by farther than your field points are and, and it's just not a forgiving setup you know that's where you may want to make some changes but but again it it just comes with uh putting a helical on it and then um shooting it and see how it feels so it it's tough to draw the line at what's too much and what's too little but for me my my point is making good adhesion to the shaft with both the front and the back of my fletching and getting as much helical as I can get out of a two inch fletch. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think uh, I was listening to Levi Morgan talk about it, and he said, you know, you, you just want to be careful that you don't put too much, because then they'll get basically what they call it the parachute effect, and it's the ass end, you know, the fletching end of the arrow is trying to slow down faster than the point end of the arrow, and it starts to barrel roll and do all sorts of stuff. So I'd assume if you're seeing that in your flight, especially on a day that's not windy, uh, you might want to look at maybe slightly less helical. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. That Levi, he is so smart. You know, those guys that shoot tournaments and, and um, accuracy, especially a guy that's a 12-time world champ, like he knows his stuff, you know. So, yeah, it makes a really good point. I, I, I hadn't been aware of like a parachute effect there or, or weird toppling with the arrow, but definitely if you're seeing some weird arrow flight, like you got to change things up. you got to figure out what it is and, and uh, do something. But that's really interesting. I hadn't heard that. I'm sure like today's day and age with these bows that we get so much performance and speed out of, and he shoots a lot of 3D. And so I'm sure guys in the 3D world have tried it and tried to go to a bigger fletch and as much helical as they can to give them as much steering as they can with their arrow. And again, they're just they're they're starting to see you know to where they've taken it too far and they're not getting as good arrow flight with that parachute effect you're talking about. And so you know those are the guys that I like to pay attention to. Those guys that that uh you know they make their living out of accuracy with their bow and arrows they're going to figure out what the right system and the right setup you know are so yeah that's a really good point yeah absolutely absolutely and you're right yeah i would i would say you know a guy that's i don't know he's like nine time archers of the year nine years in a row i'd say he's he might know something <laughs> yeah when he talks i pay um, attention yeah you know what what a good guy to listen to right me too <laughs> me too um all right, so now you know we covered. Oh, one last thing with the with the fletching. Do you, uh, you know, after your fletchings are on, do you take a, a small drop of your fletching glue and put it on the very front of your fletching to keep that from peeling up? 
Yeah, it's exactly on the. I put a little dab on the very front and a dab on the very back. It just um, helps keep Sweet. that fletching down and adheres it to the to the front. So yeah, no, that's another good tip when you're fletching the arrows and it'll make your arrows last a lot longer. Yeah, absolutely. That that's cool because I I uh, like I said I do the same thing and and it's it's amazing. You know, obviously when you're shooting a target, you're not trying to pass through the target, but it's amazing how much that little drop of glue will help if you hit a, a weak spot in your target and it zips into the fletchings. It's amazing how much that little drop of glue will help keep your uh, keep your fletchings on. <laughs> oh, so true. So. Well, Wicked, now we're down to the the last part, uh, you know, the last component of the arrow, and that is the knock. So do you, you know, do you generally just utilize the knock that comes with the arrow shaft, which obviously there's nothing wrong with that, as long as the knock fits, you know, your serving, your center serving and all that kind of stuff. So what's, do you have a process for that or you just use the knock that comes with it? Yeah, usually, um, usually I pick the knock that comes with the arrow that has a quality component. So I'm, I'm usually trusting the knock that I have and the fit that I have. So I just want to make sure that it doesn't bend or bow. And sometimes, like I'll, you know, right now, like I using a gold tip G knock. I really like that knock. It it seems to be pretty hardy and fits in these small diameter shafts. And so I'm I'm used to that one. But yeah, usually I'm just using the knock that comes with the arrow now. You know, and and this doesn't have to do with the arrow build, but that knock fit on your bow is really important. I mean, that's the contact that your arrow has with your bow. It's the last contact it has, and, and getting a good knock point every time is really important, or a consistent knock point. So if most knocks nowadays are pretty good, I have used some that have a little weak wings on the side. And that can be dangerous when those can bend and fold and can change the way that arrow grips that that string. You know, you're just going to get inconsistent flight. So you want to make sure you have a good knock. But then I'm throwing those things in there. And, and this doesn't have to do with the arrow build, but the, the knock fit on that string when I'm tying in my string loop, I don't want to pinch that knock too much. So if you pinch that knock you you're actually pulling that arrow around by the by the back end and so you know then it's going to be really tough to get good consistent arrow flight like through paper or even at a target for that matter because every time you draw back it's pinching that knock and it can pull that that arrow up or down or the way it releases and so when i tie in my knock or when i tie in my string loop on my on my string um, you know, I'm tying, I'm, I'm knocking my arrow where I want it. And then I'm tying a little bit of serving above and below, and I'm leaving like a 32nd inch gap in there. So that arrow knock will actually move a little up and down when I knock my bow. And we're talking so small, like a 32nd of an inch. I wouldn't even say it's a 16th of an inch, but there's a little bit of movement there where I'm not pinching that knock because as you draw back that string angle, it changes and then it almost bites down on that arrow. So once I get back to full draw, there's no movement in that knock. But what it's doing is it's not pinching that arrow and pulling that arrow up or down or left or right just because my, my, my string loop or my serving is too tight on that arrow knock. So it, it's just really important to get a good, consistent fit on your string. And a lot of times, you know, your arrow flight problems, maybe you can't get your bow to tune through paper. A lot of times it could be your knocking point. Yeah, and and I think that's that's something really important to bring up is is the importance of that. You know, obviously you were stressing it, but 
man, I think that's something that's so small that plays such a huge role. But it's so small, it's so easy for it to be overlooked. You know, you grab your arrow and you just take it. Oh, yep, clips on the string. Let's go. You know, and uh, man, if you're, you know, like like you say, you, you uh, tie in your knocking point, you give it a small gap. So when you draw back. Um, and that small gap will be different depending on the – not just the axle, the axle of your bow, depending on also the, the geometry of the cam as well. Because take like your, your Matthews Triax uh, that you were shooting last year, for instance. Yeah, it was a uh, 28.5-inch axle to axle, but the cams were so big that when you drew back, it was much more of the axle to axle of like a 33 or 32-inch bow because the cams are so big. So the angle of that string isn't as sharp as if you were to shoot like one of the gearhead bows. So the sharper the angle of that string, obviously, the more gap you need in your knock, uh, your knock set so that you don't get uh, knock pinch. And then same with your knocks, you know, you clip onto your string. Anytime it starts to start wearing a flat spot in your string, you probably have a knock that's a little too tight. <laughs> yep, that's exactly right. You want to be able to twist your string on your knock, and it doesn't twist your arrow at all. You want it to be free-floating on there. So you don't want it to wear in a spot or a flat spot on your serving. And, and you know, there's some other things that go along with this. We've got our arrow built, and I think sometimes – um, you know, you may build the perfect arrow, but all of a sudden you can't get it to shoot out of your bow, and now you're cutting more length off, you're changing your fletchings, you're trying to find mate this arrow to your bow. One of the major things to check for is clearance. Like, guys just don't check for enough clearance on their bow, and it, it's just such a there, – there isn't much room for error. When you look at your arrow and how it has to get out of your bow and fire – like you don't have much clearance you uh, from your rest falling away you know if you're using a fall away rest you know your rest falling away and then you got to watch your your strings on the side that your your fletchings don't hit that and depending on the way your bow tunes if it tunes inside you have to watch you know going by the riser sometimes even like the um you know the holder that holds your arrow as you draw your bow sometimes your fletchings will hit that on the way out so all of a sudden you can think that you've got this this bad arrow or this arrow that isn't flying right when, when really all you have is a clearance issue. And so I think it's important when you're tuning your bow to really mess with, with your knock position and your knock position on your arrow. So you can twist your arrow to, to have those fletchings all coming out the exact same way. Um, and, and I think that's really important. Then I think it's also really important to look for clearance issues and you can do so by putting like a little lipstick on the edges of all your fletchings and then you shoot it. If you see lipstick show up anywhere on your bow, your strings, your rest, your, 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 your arrow holder, you know that that arrow's hitting that. And that's, that's adjusting the way your arrow flight goes through the air. And now you may have your bow all tuned for perfect flight but really you're 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 having clearance issues with your arrow on your on your bow and so i just think that's a major part you know of i know it isn't building an arrow but it's a major part of arrow flight that everybody needs to pay attention to and when you're first setting up that arrow and you're shooting it through paper and you're seeing how that arrow is going to perform make sure that you just run a little lipstick on the edges of all those fletchings and just shoot it a couple times just make sure that that thing is clearing everything because it, it can be a major issue and it's so overlooked even by by really good bow hunters and really good archers. It, it's just like this overlooked process where you're so, 
you know, you're so focused on building this correct arrow that mates to your bow and the spine and the cut and the fletchings and the and you forget like the the biggest step in there is 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 clearance. So I, I just want to to really bring that to attention to the to the listeners to make sure that everybody checks for clearance as they're seeing how that arrow is going to perform out of their bow. Yeah, and and another way to uh, check for clearance is take uh, you know gold bond foot spray or something that turns to a white powder and you can spray that over the small spot of cables that your fletchings are going to go by by your cable guard as well as your shelf your rest launcher arm whatever you kind of spray that whole area and you shoot and you see the streaks of your fletchings go through that white powder really simply uh as well so that's um that that's just one other way to check because i agree with you, you know you uh any time that you have your uh, your any type of contact, uh, all of a sudden your perfectly tuned equipment is no longer seems to be tuned because of because of contact. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, and I made the mistake like just the other day, like um, you know, I was shooting indoor and um, it, I uh, so I've got this this kid that I that I've mentored and helped shoot, and now he's he's really in the tournament sir. He's going he's leaving for vegas tomorrow to go shoot the vegas shoot and uh the the kids just dove head in and um so to to get him practice like i really can't make any more critiques on his form as he has got his form dialed and just shoots year round and um the kid's just a shooter so now you know to to help him out what i do is i meet him every week and i shoot around against him so it's competition it's me sitting on the line next to him we stand right side by side we shoot indoor and it just puts more pressure on him and that's the most beneficial for that kid right now so anyways long story short i got this bow kind of set up for indoor now i didn't get you know big arrows or anything i just got it set up to where i knocked the poundage down a little bit and um you know basically where i don't have to use this bow for hunting i can kind of set it up for indoor so i can shoot against this kid and give him some competition and you know mess with his head a little bit and, and meet him every week you know and try to help him any way i can so anyways i set up this bow and i just grabbed you know the arrows that i'd been hunting with and threw them on there and started shooting and and uh the first night i just couldn't give him any competition i couldn't find consistency and i couldn't figure it out you know and so i brought it home and i was like man you know i i, I really need to to work with this this kid and help him out and give him competition like maybe he's passed me up you know the <laughs> the student has passed the teacher and so i messed with it that week and uh started to tune those arrows for that bow and that bow seemed to tune a little bit inside, and I was getting clearance issues on my fletching, was hitting my string on the way out. So, of course, there was no way I was going to find accuracy and consistent flight. So I fixed that, and it, all I did was just twist my arrow a little bit so those fletchings would clear. And then I went back last week, and uh, I, I was able able to actually beat him last week now i had to shoot about 30 x's in a row in a perfect game but i beat him by an x last week so but it was all due to my <laughs> fletching clearance you know and so yep. like here it is this this major part of setting up a bow right and here i make that very same mistake of just throwing arrows in that bow and, and i couldn't shoot anywhere near him that first night of shooting you know but once i i fix that up you know then i'm getting good consistent arrow flight and i'm able to give him the competition he needs and and who knows maybe he dropped that last arrow to make me feel better or just because he wanted out of there you know but uh but now i can contend <laughs> with him give him the competition that he needs to improve his game and so yeah, i'm pulling for him this week i hope he shoots really good in vegas 
Yeah, wicked. Well, that, that's awesome of you to be helping him out and, and helping you too. You know, the, the pre- pressure's pressure no matter where it comes from. So, yeah, he's um, helping me just well, as much as I'm helping him. You're totally right on that, Zach. <laughs> I'm always trying to improve my archery game and, and to have a, you know, a 16, 17 year old kid that can stand on the line and shoot better. You know, it, it, uh, it, it, it just uh, strikes that fire in me where I want to figure out what's going on with that bow and, and be able to, you know, at least give him the competition and, and uh, be able to stand up there and shoot against him. So, yeah, there's a little bit of pride there, too, you know. But, uh, yeah, it's yeah, really fun. Yeah. He's a great kid and a great shooter and just takes everything to heart. And, yeah, I, I think the, the student has passed the teacher at this point, man. That kid can just shoot. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Brian, I, I think we uh, I think we did a good job. I think we really covered uh, you know the arrows and and uh, the whole process really well. I I don't know you know uh, I don't I don't feel we missed anything. Let's put it that way. <laughs> good, yeah, no, that was a great breakdown of those um, breakdown of building arrows from scratch and just good to walk through the entire process. And sometimes this knowledge. You know, it gets to be almost second nature when you're building arrows, but, you know, there's there's guys out there that are learning. And, and, and two, there's experienced guys out there that are building arrows that may pick up a, a tip or a, a trick here or there that, that helps them out. So, yeah, um, no, it's a great conversation, Zach. I think we covered it really thorough as well and covered about any of the variables that, or any of the questions that, that people may have of building their arrows. Yep, absolutely. I, uh, you know, obviously, as always, it was it was a blast, and I appreciate you hopping on the podcast this morning and uh, chatting about arrows with me. It means a lot. So thank you. Yep, yep. Thank you, Zach. I appreciate it. All right, guys, that's an episode. Um, really thorough breakdown of of arrows and and what's important to the Western hunter and. I just uh, I appreciate Zach having me on his podcast, and um, I thought it made for a great episode for us guys. Um, Zach's Zach's just a hustler; he's constantly working on that podcast, that Archery Maniacs podcast, and um, he's always thinking. He's always getting good recordings. Uh, make sure to check that out. And then um, he also started uh, Battle Mountain Media, um, so it's a YouTube channel where he's putting out hunts and, and editing them all up. Uh, like I say, he does a great job of putting them together. Zach, he actually filmed for me for a Montana mule deer hunt one time, and we were able to kill a nice four-point buck and get it on film. Gosh, I'm still sitting on all the footage. I um I really need to put it together, or I should give it Zach give it to Zach to put it together on his end. Um, it was a fun hunt. We made some great stocks, and then I ended up arrowing a a nice four-point on the hike out of that place. We went for like a a long weekend trip, but um. It, it was a really cool trip with Zach. Uh, the the guy is tough as nails, always has a good attitude in the mountains, and so I want to use him again for filming. He did a super job for me, so um, I'll be using him there. But, yeah, make sure to check out his YouTube channel. Check out his podcast. Um, he's a really good guy and a really hard worker. Loves bow hunting, too. Um yeah, with that, I uh, want to thank our sponsors for today. Um, so High Mountain Seasonings. Um, yeah, High Mountain, they just do such a great job with their jerky seasonings. That's what I love. The, just all the different flavors they run. And then um, I've got a big bag of jerky that I'm getting ready to take on the plane with me to New Zealand. I wish I could take more. I just I don't want to deal with taking it in uh, customs and that. So I'm just going to bring enough for the airplane ride, you know, with an apple or an orange or a couple different things um, to snack on or whatever. It's a 19-hour flight there. So a lot of time to kill. 
but uh yeah anyways i'm gonna um i'm gonna bring some jerky with me but i just love the 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 jerkies um the steak marinades the the seasonings they have uh, if you're into doing your own pepperoni or summer sausage they have that as well uh, make sure to check them out high mountain seasonings and then um, also want to thank Technu. Um, Technu has been a great supporter of the podcast. Um, I, I really like the guys there at Technu and the products that they have. And so the Technu original, again, poison oak, poison ivy. Make sure to have some in your truck or in your medicine cabinet for if you do get into that stuff. It'll also remove sap. It'll remove skunk smell if your dog gets into a skunk. We all knew, know tomato juice doesn't do anything. Like your dog still stinks. Uh, Technu will actually remove the oil that's in that skunk smell. And um, so it's a good thing to have around if your dog's ever chasing skunks as well. Uh, and then also be on the lookout for that first aid gel. Um, that stuff is, um, I hear that stuff's just absolute magic. And, uh, it, it, uh, I know they've, they've tried to get it re-released or re-released it, or it's coming up on release, but just be on the lookout for it. Their first aid gel. It's good stuff. And, um, see, got the sponsors there at, uh, Eastman's. We've got those three beyond the grids. Make sure to check those out. Um, we also have a subscription to Eastman's. Uh, text elevated 319 to 22828 and uh, you get that MRS booklet and uh, everything uh, like you say it's all the the previous drawing statistics odds premium units blue chip green chip it just gives you an idea what's going on in these different states it's a $69 value they'll give you that with the subscription so $29.99 gets you subscription to both magazines gets you um, you know, the, the subscriber stories gets you the pro staff articles and then gets you all the current MRS, which is the members research section. Um, look at that. I even remembered it right this time. Um, but it's just a great section. It's such a valuable resource for us Western hunters. And with that, I got to go get on a plane to New Zealand. This is crazy. Uh, uh, a blue collar guy like me that works for a living to be able to travel to New Zealand and do it on the cheap too. I mean, I was able to get my, my plane tickets cheap. Uh, it's a do-it-yourself, self-guided adventure, going with a couple buddies that have been there before. Um, I mean, New Zealand is such a big island that it has so many different microclimates in uh, inside of it. But just the, the mountain range there, like it's... It's so gigantic that that there's so much above tree line, gnarly backcountry, alpen basin, like like looking habitat that I'm just pumped to go hunting. I mean, it's like going and seeing the Rocky Mountains for the first time. I mean, the place is huge. You couldn't cover it all in a lifetime, even if you wanted to. And then like these alpen environments for for sheep and goats, they take you know you don't get the opportunity to hunt them very often like you have to draw a tag or pay thousands of dollars to be able to go up there and have this experience in this rugged gnarly terrain and new zealand just lets you in they just let you hunt it they let you hunt the himalayan tar and the chamois up high in these rugged mountains with a bow and arrow put you know and i know they're going to be extremely difficult and i don't even care if i kill one just the experience alone i really want to help my buddies be successful but i just want to go immerse myself in this place like i can't wait and then to have the red deer roar in the foothills and you can hunt anywhere from open arid desert uh looking habitat like nevada all the way to like rainforest with with ferns and and um uh old growth and so it's just crazy the different habitats you can hunt i'm really looking forward to the above tree line 
I'm really looking forward to to red deer, but I re- I really want to hunt like some of those free range fallow deer. I love that paddle up on top, but to be able to immerse myself in this new habitat and look through and look at a new species through my binos or through my scope, man, this is, this is gonna be freaking amazing. Um, so I'm just so pumped. I'm jumping out of my skin. I packed and repacked all my gear. I'm going backpacking there in in you know the the rugged backcountry. Um, I just can't, I absolutely can't wait. Um, it's going to be a ride. So I catch that plane in a couple days. So be pulling for me. Um, yeah, if I, if I am lucky enough to harvest or my buddies are, I should grab reception, you know, every few days or so when I get back into service or we get done from a backpacking trip. So I'll try to be posting on my social media, but yeah, just crazy. An average guy like me gets to go on a trip like this. And, and like I say, on the cheap too, just pretty much a plane ticket and some food and, you know, a little bit of expense here or there, but God, I'm doing it on the cheap, which is so cool. I just love these adventures. And, um, uh, this is the craziest one yet for me all the way around the world. And, um, I just got to thank you guys. You guys are a, a big reason why I'm able to do this. You know, the, the extra revenue off the podcast, you know, helps, helps pay for me to go to these wild places. So I just want to share the content with you guys. I got some good podcasts lined up while I'm down there. Uh, I don't want to let on to to one of my guests right now, but it's it's uh it, it's a great one, and then and then hunting with my buddies, and so uh, should get you guys some good recordings, got some good podcasts lined up while I'm gone, so uh, everything should be taken care of, and um, I'm gonna go have an adventure. So thanks you guys for for all the support, um, uh, the the uh, iTunes. Um, what am I trying to say? The iTunes comments or reviews on there, um, they really help me out. Uh, thanks for the support on the on the IG and the the Facebook and and um, the support of the podcast. Really, just listening in <laughs> does so much for me. Um, I I just uh, I appreciate sharing everything with you guys and and I want to see you guys have success this season. So um, thanks, I really appreciate it, guys. I'm out of here. Um, chat with you guys soon. Check in with you here when I get back.